Welcome to another episode of whatever we're calling this. As usual, we have a special guest. We have uh, Dr. McIntyre. Hello, Dr. McIntyre. How are you? I'm great. How are y'all? Good. Uh, because this is the first time that we have this conversation and I'm very excited about your work, uh, research, and classes, I would like that you uh, delight our audience about you, Dr. McIntyre. Um, what are you doing? How did you end up at the University of Arkansas? And mm -hmm. any other kind of information that you want to share with us today? Oh, wow. Um, so, hi, everybody. Um, I ended up at the University of Arkansas via a fairly circuitous journey. Um, I did my doctoral work at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Um, my PhDs in English, rhetoric, and composition. Um, I went from there to Dartmouth College, where I got to do a lot of great work um, with the Institute for Writing and Rhetoric there. And um, then to the California State University System, uh, where I was at Sonoma State University for the last four years. My work is primarily in um, equitable and anti-racist composition um, and writing programs. So here at the U of A, I'm also the director of the program in rhetoric and composition, which um, my job is essentially to sort of facilitate all the first year writing classes, as well as some sophomore and junior level writing classes. I get to work with um, a huge variety of MA, MFA, and PhD students in English, um, in creative writing, in comparative literature, who teach um, various courses in our program. And so a lot of my work is sort of facilitating their growth as teachers. I'm really interested and invested in anti-racist and equitable pedagogy. What does it look like to create a literacy classroom that has space for everybody's literacy, that doesn't assume some sort of superiority for standard versions of English? What do world, English, or world Englishes and multilingual learners have to teach us about literacy? Um, and then what, what do we need to know to facilitate the best kinds of literacy classrooms where it's possible for students to explore their own practices and voices and processes um, to try things for the first time and not be afraid to fail um, and to get the kind of feedback and support they need to become more comfortable writers. Wow, Dr. McIntyre, you, you are doing uh, a lot of work. You are doing a lot of projects. And there is one mm. word that I really like, facilitate. Mm. It, I, I see that there is a connection that you are producing a bridge uh, between uh, multilingual students, also the connection between race, anti-racism, and, and writing and pedagogy. But then just to be able to have a, a background, how as a, as a graduate student, someone who wants to design a syllabus in the future where I can mix race and, and make an impact on my students on a writing or any rhetoric class, I was kind of curious how, what's the role of, of, of race and racism and anti-racism in a writing class? Because yeah. maybe some people can assume that, oh, no, it's just a writing class. Right. But then what is the background over there? Yeah. So the first thing I always want to talk to to literacy teachers or, or potential future literacy teachers about is that 
the sort of neutrality with which we treat language is fake. <laughs> that, that language is never neutral. Language is created by systems of power and it reproduces systems of power. So the sort of standard academic English, one of the reasons it's so powerful in the world and in the work that so many of us do is because it pretends that it's invisible. It pretends that it's neutral. It pretends that it's raceless, right? But in reality, it reflects a really specific kind of class, uh, middle to upper class history of English of the English language in America and of race. There is a proximity to whiteness that's really sort of clear when you look at the history of the English language in the United States and in U.S. education that has been made invisible by the usages of terms like academic English. And so that's the first thing is even if I never, like when I teach first year composition, we talk about race. I assign readings that ask students to think about experiences outside their own. And necessarily that dimension of experience includes race, right? It includes ethnicity, it includes country of origin, it includes language. Um, but even if I don't have explicit conversations about race and racism in my classroom, as the teacher and facilitator of a literacy class, it's my job to know that history or enough of it to recognize that some of my students come into the classroom with a proximity to um, edited academic English that is closer to that kind of what's acceptable in the academy than other students. And that that dimension is often along racial and class lines. So students coming from, so I was a first generation student. I grew up in a place that's really rural. I grew up very poor. Um, and so in a lot of ways, when I, when I came into school and schooling, the English I was learning was further away from what I knew how to use at home than some of my white peers, but it was closer than my friend Flora, who, who came um, into that classroom from a bilingual household. Her parents spoke Cantonese, her family um, was first-generation immigrants from China, and so that proximity matters. It matters in terms of what I, how my teacher viewed me versus how they viewed her. It, it mattered in like, what was the climb to get to quote unquote proficiency for us? And so it, I think all of us that teach literacy classes, reading, writing, literature, all of those things, we need to know that history so that we aren't pretending a kind of neutrality that doesn't actually exist. I don't know if I actually answered the question. Yes, yes. And uh, I know that Aisha has a question, but before I go with Aisha, I have this, uh, uh, like what, what, what you were describing your, when like as a first generation student, that also happened to me, but then I had to face another obstacle that as a non-native speaker, I, I need to mimic the style, the structure and right. all this kind of things. So in a writing uh, class, mm -hmm. Uh, do you also need to focus on how to teach students how to read, even though that we are sure that, yeah. of course, they know how to read, but then is there any connection between the anti-racist yeah. writing pedagogy with anti-racist 
uh, reading pedagogy? Does it get yes. from there? Yes, there's absolutely a connection. So in general, there is a significant connection between reading and writing. Um, literacy practices are all intertwined. So also with speaking, right? There, there are different processes. We have different courses for them. There are different pedagogies, pedagogical approaches to them, but they're all intertwined together. So they're all part of our sort of language use repertoire and they build on each other. And so one, it's good to know if you're teaching a writing class that like you're also need to be teaching reading of particular kinds. Um, and in terms of anti-racist reading practices, I think that's a really sort of understudied individual question. Um, there's a lot of work now in anti-racist approaches to writing courses. Like how do we make them, how do we do assessment in a way that is also true to the values that we have? Um, and speaking similarly, like there's a lot of research and communication uh, in communications about this question. Reading I think is less studied in part because the work, the academic work about reading is often really utilitarian necessarily, right? It comes out of education. They care a lot. You know, there's a lot of literature about equity and literacy, but pulling out the reading piece, I think is a sort of different question and, and not as well documented. I'll just mention one piece that I find really useful and it's, it's sort of intense, but a useful set of questions. Um, Asao Inoue has a piece on anti-racist reading um, that's like a year, a year and a half old that I think raises questions um, in this vein that's really helpful to think with. You, in, in one of your articles, you mentioned that uh, the inclusion of uh, diversity and addressing equity is not to be a kind of a decorative thing. It is something integral, you know, and you give yes. the example of Baldwin as just, you know, thrown into the syllabus um, right. for, um, for the kicks. Um, so uh, could you could you tell us a little more about uh, how that is integral and how how uh, your white audiences mm. uh, respond to um, the inclusion of such literature uh, where they may not have specifically signed in right. for uh, a race studies class. Yeah, so I think what I mean by integral is sort of multifaceted, but for me, it means I'm thinking about equity when I design assignments, do my writing assignments, have space for multilingual students, for students that speak other varieties of English, to maintain their voice, to be true to themselves, to practice the voices that are meaningful to them? Or am I forcing students into a particular dialect of English? And if I am, why am I doing that? What are the pressures from externally or internally that are asking me to do that? And is that the right thing to do? My experience is that especially in first year writing classes, it's almost never the right thing to do. Um, it's also about my assessment practices. What do I value in my grading and in my feedback? So coming to that place from the perspective that my goal is to make, is to give students opportunities to try things for audiences to respond as an informed reader to them and not as a sort of grammarian or um, 
expert even, right? Like I think my expertise is in the facilitation. It's in the writing of the syllabus. It's in the sort of leading of workshop. It's not in deciding exactly how they need to communicate what they want to communicate. I can give them feedback as a reader. I can talk to them about context um, and rhetorical purposes and those sorts of questions, but I don't get to decide is sort of my, my interaction with my students in that vein. And then um, also about the kind of readings I assign. But it's it's even more important to me that the work I do on the syllabus before I choose the readings has equity at the heart of it. So like I said, it's in the grading, it's in the policies. So thinking about my attendance policy and my late work policy as also equity driven, right? So I have um, I basically grant all extensions as long as you talk to me. I I make my class, I ask people to attend, but I don't have a draconian attendance policy. All of these to me are creating an accessible space for as many people living as many complex lives as possible. Um, and to me, that's as important as deciding what readings to assign. I think that's also important, by the way. Like I, I don't at all dismiss like who's on my syllabus, whose experiences are centered, who are we reading? And I care a lot about, as I said before, making sure that students are being exposed to lots of experiences, other parts of the world, other people who live in ways they don't have an experience themselves, um, other parts of the country, other ages, races, like every, as much a variety as I can give them is what I want for them. As your second, the second part of your question is really interesting, right? The, the, like, what about your, the, the, how do the white audiences respond? <clears throat> and it sort of depends on the audience. I think normally um, here at Arkansas at my last institution as well, when I was teaching graduate classes in particular at Dartmouth, most of my students were white. Um, and so these approaches were surprising for them. Um, but what we talk about is there are both like being humans reasons, like we become better humans by understanding other humans. And there are really specific rhetorical writerly purposes for this because writers write for audiences. And if the only audience whose experience you understand is an audience that exists, exists only the way that you do, you can't be a very successful writer. You can't successfully persuade anybody. Um, and so we talk about it from both of those perspectives because I care about both. Like I have, I am a humanist in some ways, right? Like I have a humanistic reason for wanting people to be exposed to experiences that are unlike their own and to the history of the English language and the ways that it's developed. And there's a really practical purpose as a writing teacher for making sure that students can write to, speak to, think about diverse kinds of audiences, because that's who they're actually going to be addressing when they use writing in the world. There's not going to be a lot of situations where they're speaking to only people that have the same experiences that they do. And if they can't account for people that don't have the same experiences they do, then I feel like I failed a little bit, right? As a writing teacher, if my goal is to expose them to people and ideas and ways of thinking that will help them in the future as well. I have a follow-up question, uh, Dr. Um, 
McIntyre. Um, you mentioned audience. So as someone who is going to yeah. read a syllabus, who is interested in taking a class, what are some red flags that we could consider in when uh, analyzing a syllabus? Or what are some red flags that faculty mm -hmm. can analyze from their own syllabus that they can provide a diversity, maybe inclusion? Or what are some of those red flags that you think, Guillermo, if you really want to make an impact on your student, do this? Because I was reading on your uh, Twitter, uh, I will Later, we'll put that uh, a link into yeah. our uh, description for this episode. And Dr. McIntyre has a quick start guide for planning a writing class. So I think that everyone who is interested in in creating yeah. their own syllabus or want to uh, make their syllabus even better, uh, you can take a look on this. Uh, but one of the parts that I did not see, Dr. McIntyre, is recognizing red flags. Um, the audience, I'm going to take a class. What should I need to do? So yeah, that's a really great question. And I have that quick start guide and then I have a slightly longer one. Um, I So what I'll say is like, when I'm looking at syllabi and I care about equity, because equity and diversity are slightly different things, right? Um, but I care about, let's say I care about both. I care about both equity and diversity. I'm going to look both at policies as a student, like, so if I come into a class on the first day, what do I care about from the syllabus? Well, I want to know, are the policies in this class, attendance, late work, um, extra help, office hours, are those clearly on the syllabus? And do they, are they constructed in a way that's going to help me be successful in the class? And that can look different for different people, right? So for some folks, my you can have any as many extensions as you want, as long as you come talk to me, is actually a red flag for them because they're not people that are successful with that much, with, with that sort of lack of infrastructure. And so that can be a red flag, but I would look at that, right? Like look at the policies from, and this is for both faculty who are looking at their own syllabi or looking at other syllabi as they develop their own and for students as you're sort of coming into a classroom. Think about the policies in terms of diversity and equity, because I think it's really easy to, to say, well, you should look at the reading list, like who's represented on the reading list. And you should, right? Like we should all care about that. That's important. But I think these other things get hidden and actually often have a bigger impact on whether a student from any kind of background, right? I think about students with disabilities, for example. You know, um, I've had students with things like complex PTSD, which means that really strict attendance policies are entirely inequitable to them because they may have an episode that means they can't attend and it's sort of last minute or they have a panic attack, right? And so those policies are really important from their perspective about like, can I be successful in this class? And for me, that's a dimension of equity too. So I'd say, look at the policies have you created space for lots of students with complex lives um, and different approaches and different backgrounds to be successful in the class? And then I would look at the assignments. What is this class asking me to do? Are the things the class is asking me to do correlated with what I need to get out of this class, right? So obviously, if it's a required class, <laughs> this is a different set of questions, right? <laughs> but if I'm, you know, I'm taking an elective class and I sit down and I'm like, what I really need out of this class is a chance to try shorter forms 
and some non-academic writing. And I think from the class title, that's what I'm going to get to do. But then I get into class and I'm like, oh, these are all super, sound like super academic traditional essays that I'm being asked to do. That doesn't fit with my goals. And as a teacher, I'm thinking, I don't know, like, is that enough variety of kinds of writing to achieve my outcomes for this class? Are there other genres? Are there other writing assignments? Are there other multimodal assignments that would better serve those purposes? Um, and then I would really look at the reading list. Who's represented? Whose experiences are represented? Um, something I've been really talking to some the new instructors about is, yes, race, class, and gender, for sure, diversity in those areas, but also disability, um, because it's not equity and inclusion or diversity if we're not also including disabled bodies, right, both in our physical spaces and in our literature, our assignments, our readings. So I think that's the sort of third level for me. But like I said, the other two, I, in my experience, can have as much or more of an impact than, than the reading that gets assigned. And often faculty, I think, have gotten that message. I think many, many faculty have looked at their reading list and thought, okay, this isn't diverse enough. Who can I add? But maybe not enough of us have, have thought about whether our writing assignments and our class policies actually serve the students in front of us. Dr. McIntyre, I am speechless. I have never thought about the syllabus in that way. Now, the way that, that you are um, presenting uh, this like crucial part of the teaching has really changed uh, the chip of, of what I want to do later as a university professor. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation. Thank you very much for sharing what you are doing at the University of Arkansas. And as a student, I am glad that we have uh, professors like you at the University of Arkansas. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. McIntyre. Thank you so much. This was super fun.